Hey everyone, I know it's a really late podcast tonight. Um, my name is Amy, and this podcast station, like I said before, is talks a lot about my oldest who was taken from our family September 5th, 2020. Um, there's a lot of topics that I'm interested in talking about. Um, not just grief, but my support with helping people who are struggling with addiction, with the LGBTQ plus community, with the transgender community, just different topics that were important to Jace and also are important to me and my family. Um, it's a really late podcast, like I said tonight, and I'm trying to keep really quiet because every Wednesday to Friday afternoon, I stay with uh, friends of mine and my husband's who have what I call change of life babies. <laughs> they um, unexpectedly in their 40s had identical twin girls <laughs> and um, it was a surprise. And let me tell you, I've been watching them since they were four months old last fall. And I really think it like saved my life in a way because I was so stuck in like, I guess, the really downward spiral of grief. Like I was stuck in it. And, you know, I I personally love babies. I mean, I had four of my own and I have three wonderful grandchildren. So obviously, you know, I like kids. <laughs> I like my kids, my family's kids, and I like, I just love these little twins. And um, they also have an 11-year-old who is such a talented little girl for 11. I mean, the girl can sing, she can act, she can dance, she can twist her body into crazy contortions. And um, I'm telling you, that girl's a star. She's amazing. She uh, was just down South Carolina for the week last week in several dance competitions and like she's amazing just super duper amazing but um anyway like I said I'm kind of just sitting out back thinking about conversations I was having with a uh, our friend whose name's Dylan and um he knew Jace and actually like We've known each other for 21 years. Um, my whole family was in him and his wife's wedding. And he was, of course, at my wedding. He actually is one of my husband's really best friends. And I would have to say, and I doubt my husband's friends even are going to ever listen to this. But out of all my husband's friends, Dylan and Leanne, they are definitely, like, my favorite. <laughs> well... There's another favorite, but, or two, but definitely Dylan and Leanne. They're so down to earth and, like, so genuine and so kind and caring and, like, funny, too. Like, normal people should be. <laughs> um, but anyway, I was talking to Dylan earlier, and, like, it just so happens that, you know, he and I have known each other for 21 years, and we're just realizing how many people in the past that we knew, like 
the world is so small. I, I prefer to keep a really small, small circle because I just have major trust issues. Like I just, I really feel like, especially when it comes to losing Jace, like my grief is so personal and private. Like I just don't believe everyone deserves to see that part of me. I mean, it's so hard to explain why I say it's special because it's really terribly heartbreaking. But throughout the years, um, when it comes to trusting friends, um, you know, there was a time, I guess you could say, like in my earlier 20s, that I like loved my big group of friends and I, I had a few different groups of friends that I went out with. You know, I had like my, my, well, actually my work friends from, uh, University of Penn, like I, I still try so hard to keep in touch with them. Um, but that work crew was the best and, um, they're still the best. Uh, and, uh, but just like back then, you know, I had, uh, I was a young mom and, uh, Jace was my oldest. Like I've said before, I, I was 18 when I had him. And, uh, just thinking about like the circle of friends I had then when current or when Jason, Lauren were really young, you know, I trusted them and, you know, I never like imagined that they would never be in my life, especially like a few long-term friends I had. And then like throughout the years and along the way, um, I had made some friends in that group that just kind of pulled me aside and was like, you gotta watch who you trust, you know? Like, even though we're all friends, sometimes the person that you think will be there when you're not here to, like, talk you up is actually talking you down. <sighs> so, I knew right away who these people were referring to and you know it really bothered me because I think I knew that about this person for years it's just hard to accept when you know somebody like you know practically your whole life and to think like well why be friends with me you know if I'm just gonna be the one you kind of bash and blame things on like it's just you know, I, and even back then, I still pushed it aside. But, like, you know, I don't know if it's maybe when you get older. Like, I'm in my mid-ish 40s now. And, like, it really started making me think about that, I would say, about five or six years ago. Like, I was just thinking about how much smaller my circle has gotten throughout the years. And, um... Actually, after Jace passed, um, my one girlfriend, Monique, who is my sister. I mean, we're not friends. We're sisters. We've known each other since we were six. Our families, you know, were friendly. Like, her mom is like my mom. In fact, I don't know what I would have done without her mother 
when Jace died. <laughs> her mom and her aunt, like, were unbelievably amazing. And, you know, I don't have that part of my family anymore. Um, my grandparents adopted and raised me, even though I was still very close and had a great relationship with my biological mother. It was a long-distance relationship, but, like, I loved her just the same, and I never resented her. She did the right thing. She was a young mom also, and thankfully she knew that the things that were going on in her life were not <laughs> going to be good to raise a baby in, so she did the right thing and left me with my grandparents, and they adopted me and raised me, and... I don't have them, I, you know, I don't have my mom and dad. I don't have Donna. I don't have Jace. I don't even have my mother-in-law, Gail, who was also like a mother. I mean, she was a wonderful woman. And I'm so honored that I was able to be her caregiver the last week of her life when she came home to our house on hospice. You know, it was... Good to have um, that experience through my pharmacy career to be to work in hospice, you know, years ago, that I was able to give, you know, that precious gift of time to my two sister-in-laws and my husband to spend with her and not have to worry about anything else, you know, just spending you know, those last few days, actually last week. Um, but I don't have any of those people anymore. At least the, my core people are gone. And of course, yes, I know I have three other living children and my grandchildren, but, you know, in such a short period in nine years, I lost, I feel like I lost my core. So when I lost Jace, um, you know, I remember going to Monique's mom and saying, you know, everybody's gone. I mean, it was like months after Jace passed, I, I went over there and kind of spilled my heart out. <laughs> and she listened to me so intently. And um, I remember leaving. And like I said, she's a wonderful woman. Not the most affectionate very straight up no bullshit <laughs> but I remember leaving and she said you know come here and she gave me a hug and um oh god I can't even believe that I might cry um I just remember driving home and crying and thinking my gosh it has been so many years since I had like a mom hug like you know and I remember um trying to keep up with um blogging which I hate like texting typing type stuff like you know my mind goes a mile a minute obviously you can tell when I talk because I jump and jump and jump from like one you know kind of category to the next or like I tell one story and then the next just like I'm doing now but anyway at the time I remember blogging and blogging about the mom hug and I told her about it but I told her the next time I saw her I I dropped her off something for her foot I remember she had something going on with her foot and we talked a little bit and then when I was getting ready to leave she said well I'm gonna make you cry again and gave me another hug oh my gosh like to get that from that woman made me feel so good and of course I know that I can go to her 
and and my friend Monique's aunt and her brothers they're just like my brothers and her two sons that are the same ages as Jace and Lauren anytime but it's it's hard you know I mean I still have a hard time talking you know and coping and dealing with my own family (laughs) even like with myself still um and I guess there's other things more than you know just losing people that were the closest to me and and grief um like I said I I guess I technically um grieve old friendships but not in a way that I'm sad about it I'm more like disappointed in myself about them you know I look back and think like well why did I brush it under the rug so long you know I guess I was just hoping for like a kind of I don't know actually to be honest I don't know what I was looking for um maybe for these very few people to kind of turn the other cheek and realize that they haven't always been the best friend to me or had the best intentions towards me and for them to kind of come forward and apologize. But obviously, how often does that happen? (laughs) I mean, there are genuine great people in the world. I knew that. I believe that. Um, I try to be one. Um, You know, I'd like to believe that Jace and all three of my children that are still living are genuine. And um, I really believe Jace was. I mean, every single person, like I said, and I probably will repeat different stories like a hundred times, but, um, you know, like I said, I've had people come to me and this was before Jace even passed and even still will say to me, um, these were people that Jace had met through like different rehabs and they would say they had no idea how Jace was an addict and, and lived or at least was stuck in that type of lifestyle for so long because his heart and his soul and his kindness and just everything about him didn't fit the stereotype, quote unquote, which is another thing that I'm trying to advocate for, like with addiction. I think the stigma behind it is so sick and disgusting. It holds so much um, just so much false thoughts like people are just ignorant they you know once you're labeled as a an addict especially like you know drug addict because there's like several obviously different things we could be addicted to but once you're a drug addict you're labeled and it doesn't matter if you're 30 years clean you know you're going to have people that you're always just going to be that junkie drug addict person and it's just so wrong I mean how are you supposed to turn your life around when you've worked so hard to to have that label stuck to you you know um 
I know it was something G struggled with. I know it's something that a lot of people still struggle with. I mean, I mean, with alcohol and sex and gambling and food addictions, I mean, you know, they are traveling a journey that for them is just as bad as people who are addicted to drugs, but they're not labeled. They don't get stuck with that stigmatic label where when they go seeking jobs, they're being turned down because of their addiction. I mean, maybe some, I I mean, I could be wrong, but I think the majority of them are able to turn their lives around more positively than somebody who's labeled a drug addict. Um, It's just what I've experienced. I don't want to say things for people to think that like I'm quoting facts here because nothing I say is probably really factual if it is I'll be sure to you know share the contents of where I get my facts and figures but (laughs) I I'm speaking mostly from experience and to be honest I think sharing stories of personal experience is the best way to learn actual facts of what's going on in the world because like I said this whole textbook you know theory of how these rehabs are gonna cure quote unquote these addicts is a bunch of trash it should just be thrown in the trash it's hard being in like the healthcare field I went to pharmacy school and I've worked in hospitals my whole life Practically, I've worked home health care, I've worked hospice, and, um, you know, it's such a struggle. Well, actually, it was such a struggle when I would visit Jace and the rehabs or, like, different therapy programs. You know, I hated saying what I did for a living, and I would be, I would tell Jace, too, I would say, just... If I advise you not to take something, don't tell them, oh, well, my mom went to pharmacy school, blah, 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 blah. Because, you know, it just, I feel like it causes a lot of friction and tension. You know, it's, mm, it's kind of like one healthcare provider thinking that the other one thinks they're better type thing. Like, oh, you know, just because you know about drugs doesn't mean you know everything. And that's not what I've ever intended. You know, if I did tell somebody something, there was actually a time where um, Jace was at a rehab and we were discussing his meds. And um, I asked Jace a question. I just remember, I don't even remember the medicine, what the secondary quote unquote diagnosis was. Because, you know, everybody who's got a drug addiction, once they go into rehab, there's secondary and or more, you know, other, you know, things they like to diagnose you with so that you know I think that's ridiculous you know sometimes drug addicts are just drug addicts doesn't necessarily mean that they suffer from depression or mental illness I mean (laughs) I'm not saying that most of them don't I'm just saying not everybody should be on medication with a false diagnosis because that's just wrong but a lot of addicts are diagnosed incorrectly with other um, 
mental health issues that they don't necessarily have. Um, but anyway, Jace was telling me about his meds and how he was just diagnosed as having ADHD. <laughs> oh my God. I'm surprised I don't burst out laughing, crying, because if anybody in the world, anybody in the world ever, ever, since the day he was born knew him till the very last day of his last breath would know this human being suffered the opposite of ADHD. I mean, if there was like a human version of a sloth, <laughs> Chase was it. Like we joked about this. No fast moving at all. I mean, you talk about laid back. He was so laid back. He was unconscious half the time. I mean, yeah, he, he would get a little hype, but his hype was like how I am when I'm normal, like normally laid back. I mean, nothing, it, things may have bothered him, but um, his brain didn't race. He wasn't like, you know, off the wall. I, it, like, I mean, oh my God, it, it's so hard to explain. So when he, he, that's right, he said he had somebody tell him he had ADHD. And I said, oh my God, who told you that? And at the time, the nurse was standing next to me. And she said, um, just to let you know, Jace, because of the HIPAA law, you don't have to tell her anything. You're 23 years old. And Jace says, well, that's my mother. And the nurse replies, or whoever this was, you don't have to. You're an adult. And the HIPAA, blah, 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 going on and on. And Jace goes, well, I, I tell my mom, like, everything. I just wanted to tell her because she, you know, went to pharmacy school. And I'm like, oh, God, my life is over now. And, yeah, I, I, I believe it was a nurse. It could have been, like, an aide or something. But, oh, boy. She said, oh. Here we go. So I guess your mother is going to tell you what medications not to take. And I said, I just suggest things to my child because I know my child. And, you know, I don't want him to start medication for ADHD where he's going to be a patient here at this rehab for only 30 days and then be discharged without the medication and no refills and have to see like other doctors because that will mean he is coming off of medication he shouldn't have been on while still battling drug addiction <laughs> you know I mean you talk about a double whammy there uh, and I mean in my personal opinion I think um that problem weighs the heaviest on a lot of these people suffering with addiction. You know, I believe that they go into rehabs, are falsely diagnosed with some secondary issue, medicated for it for a brief period of time that they're there, and then their body gets used to this medication that they feel medicated on, because they don't feel right. You know, their body starts to kind of get used to this odd feeling. And then they're discharged with no refills and none of that medication that they just took for 30 days. So while their bodies are trying to get 
re-acclimated to how it feels without that medicine, they're still suffering from, you know, withdrawing and whatever substance that they were abusing from. Like, there's no proper therapy, there's no proper, um, uh, just there's no proper rehabilitation period I mean they have like you go into detox for like a week and they call it the blackout period where it's no cell phone no phone calls no visitors and they are completely alone and by themselves and isolated and if it requires medicine for them to detox they're given it but like it's like solitary confinement. <laughs> I mean, Jace hated that part of it the most. I mean, whenever he knew that he was getting ready to go to rehab, he would beg me and say, don't take me to detox first. Like, please just let me do it at home. No matter how awful I feel or how sick I feel or how much I sleep, just let me please do it at home. You know, if you were to tell him he couldn't call me, or his sister Lauren for more than a week <laughs> that was probably like a death sentence to him you know that was the worst thing you could do because I mean he just needed to be in touch with us like there really was no I never went weeks and weeks and weeks without um speaking to him I spoke with him every day of his life. I mean, there were periods where there was, like, few days gaps, but, like, one of us got in touch with each other because we'd realize, like, hey, like, something's weird. Or usually it was me saying, hey, something's weird. Um, you know, uh, you know, I wasn't even going to discuss the whole rehab thing but once I get started on this kick I just can't stop because it's so maddening I mean luckily like I got to see the beauty of recovery in Jace you know that last year but I mean my god it took it's different for everybody I mean some people unfortunately never see that beautiful transition that they're fighting for um but it took eight years for my jace like and i remember him saying like what am i going to be taught or what or what am i going to learn or what are they going to do to me that's was different than the thousand other rehabs i've been to i mean like he said it was the same thing all the time <laughs> Um, even long-term rehabs, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you see very little difference between how, you know, they're trying to rehabilitate people suffering with addiction. Um, hmm. It's just, you know, I, I believe in medicine. I mean... <laughs> I don't believe that everybody needs medicine. Um, I just think, you know, I don't know. I, I, I personally, and I know this is going to be like a really, really difficult um, 
issue some people may have, uh, the whole maintenance therapy, like with uh, methadone and um, Suboxone. Um, yeah, this is going to be pretty controversial. I'm pretty sure my theory of it. Um, I, I don't believe in it. Um, not just saying that because, you know, of my pharmacy background, I'm, I'm not just saying that um, because I feel like people are failing or still not quote-unquote clean. It's just that I believe that if someone's going to choose to do maintenance therapy, they're going to have to have a whole hell of a lot of willpower on their sobriety and that they are going to have to realize that they have to advocate for themselves with these therapists and doctors and be sure to let them know that this is not something that they plan on doing forever because methadone and suboxone are definitely, potentially, obviously, habit-forming. I mean, I know people will disagree more with the suboxone, but... Although it's not an opioid and it's kind of fighting, you know, you know, to get them to not take it. Um, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know how to explain it, um, for people to understand what I'm trying to say. It's kind of like the receptors of the medications. It's a combination medication um, so it's like these two medicines are working together to send these little like receptors to the brain to kind of be like, hey, um, we're opioids friends and we're just here to kind of, you know, ease the tension, you know, like not make you feel as on edge. But it, you know, from what I understand from what Jace told me and what I've heard from other people who are on Suboxone, it, it's taking the edge off because it gives them like a super duper mediocre feeling of if they took an opioid. <laughs> I mean, that's how I've heard it described in a way. Um, I mean, I do get... The Suboxone um, therapy for somebody who has a strong willpower that can strongly advocate for themselves to be weaned off of it and to continue with therapy because the thing with Suboxone is if you use heroin or start taking opioids again, you will you will die because you won't get high and you will con you can overdose so easily because you'll keep taking that that has been an issue um not I, I think not as much of an issue as people just um abusing their script um methadone <laughs> well that whole maintenance therapy is a whole other issue with me. I, I can't, I, oh God, I don't even know where to begin. I just, I don't understand it. I, I, I really don't. I mean, okay. Okay. Like I said, 
with Suboxone. You have to have a lot of willpower. What methadone times that willpower by like infinity. You, you know, this is the problem with um, IOP, which is like outpatient therapy, people that are on methadone treatments. So she stated a girl who was on methadone um, um, therapy, maintenance therapy. Well, she, this girl would go and get her methadone. And, um, you know, she said when she was first prescribed, they put her on like whatever dose compared to what her addiction was like. And then they started to wean. And when they started to wean, she was prescribed Xanaxes. Hello? Hello? She was prescribed Xanaxes. One milligram three times a day. <laughs> so what she would do is save up her Xanaxes because she didn't take them three times a day. First of all, I don't know why anybody on methadone was taking Xanax. <laughs> but anyway, they would taper her down of her methadone. And then once she got a prescription for Xanaxes, her methadone taper would go back to a higher dose. And this taper would go down. And this was the sliding scale of her methadone therapy. She, you know, she would go back up. They, you know, wean her off not wean her off. They would wean her down and then bring it back up. Well, what's the point? Like, what are we doing? Sometimes she was weaned quicker than other times. And then sometimes she would stay on one dose for like a long period of time. So it was very irregular. And I tried to ask, like, did your doctor have some say in this? Like, was it something that was brought up in therapy? There was no doctor and there was no therapy, she said. Granted, the girl... You couldn't believe everything she said, but this, you know, Jace backed up. Like, Jace was like, Mom, I, I, I've been there, and I saw it. And, you know, when it came to um, taking care of your addiction, Jace was pretty um, aware of what the surroundings and what was going on, and, you know, he didn't like the whole rehab system either. In fact, um, there was a time... Um, I think it was 2018, one of our, towards the end, um, like those years, not the end of his life. Um, <laughs> I would say towards the end, when I say that, I mean right before like that last year when he got clean, 2018 was a bad one. Um, there was a really terrible overdose and uh, um, you know, God, it, he suffered some brain damage because he went without oxygen. Uh, he, he was clinically, I guess you could say, dead for like close to six minutes before they brought him back. And um, the way he fell, he suffered um, a little um, bleed in the brain from a concussion. And, you know, his, it just was terrible. Okay, let's just put it that way. It was just terrible. Uh, it was a terrible time for him. Um but anyway, he went to the rehab, and I remember the phone call. He said, um, Mom, you know, at this point, we've done so much throughout the years and everything. I'm just going to try the Suboxone. They, they suggested it. Um, they have, like, a group. They meet once a week. Um, here, you know, everybody who's on the Suboxone, you know, maintenance, um, and, and we discuss different things. Like, it's just group therapy. So I was like, you know what? At this point, you know, what could hurt any worse than what was going on now, right? 
So I said, okay, sure. Just let me know how it goes, you know, geez, like I want to, like, I'm interested in, in how it's going, like what your dose is and how you're getting it. Like, is it a pill? Is it a sublingual? Whatever those films are, like, how, how does it, how's it working, you know? So anyway, <laughs> he's, so I would talk to him every day that week and he was like, mom, I feel high when I take it. I feel high. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, stop saying that. You know, I'm like, well, tell somebody. And he's like, well, they said to give it a week. And I'm like, okay. So at the end of the week, you know, and like his, he made friends everywhere he went. Everybody, everybody loved him. <laughs> so his group, his suboxone group, which all get ready to go to therapy. And they all knew how Jace felt because he would tell them. He was like, how are you guys taking this? And not telling them that you feel high. And they're like, well, we don't. And he's like, oh, come on. Do you, like, when you guys leave here, don't tell me, like, you know, do you take this, like, when you leave or do you just go back? Like, you know, he just couldn't understand because he wasn't a pill taker. When it, you know, he, he suffered, like, well, he was brutally honest. You know, he was like, I'm a heroin addict, but shit, I'm a, I'm a drug addict. I'm going to take whatever is available if I can't get heroin or crack, you know? I mean, open and honest. Of course, that's what happened when he went to his Suboxone group that week. Um, the therapist was talking to everybody, and they introduced Jace, you know? And um, she said, well, how are you feeling, Jace? You know, Jace got up and said, I'm going to be honest. He said, Mom, everybody was glaring at me. They didn't want me to tell how I felt about it. He's like, because... He's like, I just believe, I just, I believe that this is one of the things that Suboxone users, like maintenance therapy, don't say because it's kind of like a cheap thrill or a cheap high, you know, until maybe they can get the willpower to get clean. I don't know. He wasn't sure either. But all he knew was that his peers in that group didn't really want him to say what he said, which was, I'm going to be honest. You know, this is Jesus' words. He said, listen, I'm going to be honest. Um, if I was on this boxing maintenance therapy, especially as an IOP, I would either abuse my script by taking it off for like a high that I'm not necessarily like into, but it makes me feel high. Or I'm going to take my script and abuse it by buying a bag of heroin, like selling it for a bag of heroin. And um, after that, he wasn't on maintenance therapy anymore. <laughs> they didn't kick him out. He just said that um, he'd rather just kind of do the alternative, which was therapy and, you know, no maintenance um, therapy with Suboxone or Methadone. He just, you know want it to work it out, I guess, you know, with the general population of rehab. I don't know how they um, categorize themselves there. Um, I know I talk about Jace being in rehab a lot. Uh, he was in jail twice. Um, the, he was in jail the first time he went. Um, he was young. Uh, he was 19, I believe, 18 or 19. And this is when the over-the-counter um, abuse was bad. 
uh, he would call them triple C's. And I'm not, I never exactly knew which medication he called the triple C's because I know that um, he would take things with, oh, I better not say, certain medications and over-the-counter medication are, um, he preferred to take too much of because it made him feel high. It's so bad for your respiratory system, but like there was, he was also um, smoking pot and um, this is a brief time also when he ex- he did experiment with pills. Um, this is the time during this his experimental pills, uh, he realized that he just couldn't do them um, because they made him violently ill. He was trying to take Xanax. So along with these over-the-counter medications that were being abused and um, smoking pot and taking the Xanax, you know, the combination was kind of like mind-altering. Um, you know, he was experimenting with LSD and, you know, <laughs> I remember one time picking him up from a friend's house and he said, Mom, I took too many of those over-the-counter medicines. You got to take me to the hospital. And I'm like, well, how many did you take? Now, I didn't even think that he was addicted to them. He just was telling me that he was sick, so sick, you know. Oh, my God, my throat, my chest, my throat, my chest. I think I took too much. You know, I didn't know any of the other stuff that he had done at the time. So I was like, well, what, what, makes, me th- what makes you think that you're dying? And he's like, well, my heart's not beating. And I'm like, oh, here we go. I put my hand on his chest at the time. You know, this is when he was 18. I said, well, your heart's beating. And he's like, well, maybe it's beating so fast I don't feel it. And I'm like, oh, you know, what the hell did you do? And of course, he never told me anything right away. I always got the truth, you know, as the guilt set in, I guess, in him. (laughs) So later that night, you know, he comes to my room because now he's throwing up. He's like, mom, you know why I thought my heart wasn't beating? It's because um, I took that. I took all that medication and I didn't tell you how much I took. I also took some LSD and I was, I was smoking this bong and I think it was laced with and I don't I forget what he said at the time and I'm like what the hell like seriously I was like I'm I'm do you I'm taking you to the hospital and you know of course now he's begging me not to oh my god no it's all coming up look 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 I can't keep nothing down you know my god I, I think I didn't sleep for two days because any change in him I was off to the ER you know But, you know, at the time, I was kind of naive to what was the beginning of that, you know. Um, I didn't really educate myself um, with addiction until, I would say, the midst of Jace's addiction. You know, um, I just, I don't even think it was denial. It was like... Um, you know, I've had surgeries where I was prescribed Percocets and it, I couldn't understand how the effects of it affected others differently than it did me. I, you know, I mean, I, I took a five milligram Percocet and I was in a coma for a week after, you know, each baby. I was like, oh my God, please just give me the Percocet when I'm going to bed because, if you give it to me during the day, I will never get to, like, be awake. You know, I, it knocked me out. Didn't always get me nauseous. Um, 
it just, I felt like I was in a coma. Like I, and then even waking up, like after sleeping it off, I guess, like I still had that like ugh feeling like not with it. It took like a good like few cups of coffee or like some caffeine to kind of snap out of it. You know, um, I guess I was naive at the fact that there's other people who take these medications and get a different feeling. And that feeling is triggering something you know in their brain that is becomes the addiction. it's triggering something that's telling them like you need this all the time every day you know I believe it's genetic I really do um uh my whole family and not my whole family I mean the so many members of my family especially on my mother's side suffered through several different types of addictions. You know, I had uncles who um, gambled, aunts and uncles who drank. I mean, they went to rehab for these issues and these addictions. Um, There's food addiction, um, you know, sex addiction. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter what the addiction is. I'm sure there was drug addiction too. I mean... There's a lot of um, skeletons that aren't necessarily quite kept in our family's closet since my mom was like the matriarch, truly. She knew everything. She was the youngest of 10, a twin and the favorite of the family. Um, and um, I'm so glad that her and I were such best friends to a point where... <laughs> The last, like, two years of her life, boy, Lord, did she tell me things about people in our families that I had no idea about. I mean, I knew, like, some of the story, but then she was like, oh, and by the way, let me just tell you the rest. And I was like, holy shit, our family's so fucked up. <laughs> I mean, like, like, not like, ooh, fucked up. Like, it's just like you hear these stories and you're like, is this for real? I'm kind of feeling Twilight Zone-ish, like, <laughs> you know, um... But, um, yeah, addiction is not a stranger to um, my family. So uh, I've definitely had the talk with the rest of my kids, you know, when Corinne, or, I'm sorry, when Jace was struggling to let them know, like, listen, look, I would say 98 point whatever percent of people experiment with something in life that they probably shouldn't. I mean, either cigarettes or well, smoking. I think everybody in my family, except for maybe two people, you know, had issues with smoking. I still smoke. In fact, I picked it up even heavier after Jace passed. I was almost done. I am. I mean, I was to the point of probably you could have almost considered me, you know, a quitting you know I was down to like maybe two cigarettes a day one a day I kept a pack forever I'd have to keep it in the freezer but then you know Jace passed and I just I, you know I was in a blur I really was I mean I'm I guess I have to consider myself lucky not to have that genetic trait um in my family with addiction because um I don't, if I did, 
I don't know that I'd be alive now, to be honest. I, you know, uh, you know, there was a time where, you know, I thought I was drinking too much, but like, if I was able to stop as easily as I did, um, I don't think that it was quite an addiction for me. Um, thinking back, you know, when my mom died, um, my dad was not in the best of health and like my mom was his whole world. And, you know, this is going back to 2011. Um, you didn't hear about grief therapy. I knew nothing about that. I knew I'd had no idea that there was grief therapists <laughs> in the world. Like I didn't even know. Um, I think it's becoming more common because of how the world is, you know, there's a lot of tension, um, racially, uh, there's a lot of discrimination everywhere, you know, people are suffering with different types of grief, um, like that, uh, I think people, I think the world, when it comes to therapy, I think therapy's realizing that you know, a divorce may not just be a divorce to somebody. I mean, this is the end of what they feel their world is. And it is the worst for them. It is their worst. You know, they need somebody to listen and, and just period listen. I mean, a therapist, that's what they're there for. I mean, they might help inspire some positivity, but um, with my experience with my therapist, I was never told I was doing anything wrong. I mean, everything I felt was, um, vindicated through her. She, you know, if I felt angry, you know, she was behind me, my biggest support. And I'm so glad that I have a personal relationship with her and keep in touch with her now because, um, our sessions are done. In fact, I didn't even know I was in therapy for probably two weeks when she was calling me. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but, um, she got in touch with me through the coroner's office. Um, she's a traumatic grief therapist and she works a lot with the LGBTQ community and transgender community. And, um, she's the one who introduced me into Philly Heels, um, that is a organization that com campaigns for and advocates for people who need help in recovery. Um, uh, yeah, my therapist, her name's Laura Vargas, and she just moved out of state. It kills me. So we can only keep touch through like email and I feel like and texting, but. I never want to bother her because I know how wonderful she is and I can't imagine how busy she is. <laughs> she's, I, I feel like she's doing something special. She's young and she's vibrant and she's passionate. So I feel like one day this country is going to know who she is. Like, I feel like she's going to do good things and I'm so proud of her and I'm so honored that, you know, she was my therapist and still sort of is and now my friend um she also um 
really just like, I don't know. She just pushed me to a point where she was like my biggest cheerleader. Everything I did, she celebrated with me. Like I wasn't celebrating. She was like, I would, like, I was going to like, okay. So I wanted to start journaling because Jace journaled and I thought maybe that would help. But like, you know, writing, you know, my brain goes a mile a minute. So, um, I started my, um, web, my, my web page and I tried blogging and like, like, I remember after like the third one, third or fourth blog I did, I had people from other countries, like I had like all these followers and somebody from Uganda private messaged me through it and they had a small reading group and they were reading Jace's story and, um, it just was so sweet that he, this man from Uganda, who taught like seven people how to like, like his community was not highly educated. And he had a group of seven that he taught how to read and they were reading my blog. Like they and like fascinated by it and they were interested and they couldn't wait to read more like I just I remember telling her that and when I told her I wasn't amazed by it but like she was so thrilled I remember how excited she was she was like oh my god Amy that's amazing and like I'm like is it and she's like you you're spreading Jace's story like you're fulfilling one of his goals and now you have like the world is gonna know who jace is and they do in a way like by you i can't even believe sometimes i feel like i can talk without crying and then i as i'm saying it (laughs) my throat gets (sighs) like stuck because i mean I just wish the world knew Jace. I wish the whole world was able to meet him at least once because, like, I know every mother thinks that their child is special, but, like, I really believe that there was something about Jace. There was. I I just feel it differently. And, I mean, he was so full of love and life, even at, his worst, <laughs> like even at his worst, when he didn't feel like he was going to live because he was suffering with his addiction and couldn't understand why he was getting high still when it the high wasn't getting, like it just wasn't there. You know, he said the high isn't there anymore, but I'm still struggling. Like he would find a way to show that humor <laughs> or that smile or like make sure to tell me that I'm so loved by him (laughs) um oh my god so sorry I um and you know I go through these periods where I don't realize how much I miss him but I do realize because like I can't even believe that this has happened and it's gonna be three years in September that three years feels like 300 sometimes and then sometimes it feels like three days 
Um, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this forever because it breaks my heart more as time goes by. You know, like my biggest fear, like it's, it, I don't know if you call it a fear, but I, I, I can't help but to think every day, every day, I think this is another day longer that I haven't been with him. And like, this is, I, I remember, I think it was only a month after he passed. And I remember saying to my husband, um, I can't believe like, this is the longest I've ever been without him. And every day since I've thought that in my head, oh, I just realized my maximum recording time is an hour and I'm almost there. Holy crap, I can talk. Okay, so I have to bring up another thing. My other two episodes, yes, I know, I got cut off, but luckily it was at the end of what I had to say anyway. I'm not tech savvy. (laughs) I know, I've said that a hundred times too, but you don't realize how un- tech savvy I am. I mean, my soon to be nine year old grandson sometimes has to help me use my cell phone. Oh, and my remote to my TV. Oh my God. This world, I'm telling you, I had typing. I had typing with a literal typewriter in high school. (laughs) It just makes me laugh to think that. Okay. So I don't even know. I'm not touching this phone. Something popped up. I know it's going to cut me off, but I know I'm getting going to get cut off anyway soon. So this was a little scatterbrainish of an episode. Uh, I guess I'll jump back to the whole Jace and friends thing another time. But I got to ramble and I am finally tired and I really got to go to bed. I got to get up with my little twinsies tomorrow. So anybody who listened, thank you so much. And until we meet again, I'm Amy. Thank you so much.